A man thought he was uh, quite intelligent and wise and sitting below a large oak tree, looking up at it, and he was amazed at its size and its strength, and, and he knew enough. I, I, I read a little bit about oak trees. It can take them decades before they start bearing fruit of acorns. And this man was considering himself wise and intelligent, and, and he was looking up at this tree thinking, why would God create this tree this way, to bear fruit this way? Why, why would he allow such a small fruit of acorns to come from such a large oak tree? These acorns that are unuseful for humans. If it had been up to him, he's thinking he, he would have had pumpkins grow from these huge, strong boughs instead of from scrawny vines. And then an acorn fell from the tree and hit him in the head. And he thought, I'm glad I'm not God. This morning we're looking at how God's gospel process is really beyond our thinking. It's beyond our reasoning. It's beyond our earthly wisdom. The gospel is good news for us simple-minded folk. It is good news for us simple-minded folk. We see this morning that those who think they are too wise for the gospel miss it completely. We see that those who are unimpressed by Jesus remain unchanged by him. Jesus had, had been talking about John the Baptist here in, in Matthew 11 and how, how the, the, the Jewish people, the vast majority of them, rejected his ministry. They, they, were, they uh, treated the, the, the Messiah's forerunner, who is John the Baptist, like he was just some sideshow that they were going out to, to see what was going on out there at the Jordan. And they were rejecting even the Messiah that he had foretold them about. And what Jesus teaches next, we see some tendencies that we need to avoid. So first of all, don't surrender to dangerous religious tendencies. This is kind of the, the, the groundwork that we're laying in these verses 11 through 22 kind of span what, what Jesus is saying uh, previously about John the Baptist and himself and leading up to, to a call that he gives to come to him, to learn from him, to take up his yoke and follow him. We first of all see these dangerous religious tendencies. And we start in verse 16 where he says, To what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. If you, if you recall, John was quite ascetic. He, he, his ministry was one out in the wilderness of, of a prophet. And usually prophets were pretty strange for their, their day. Then he, Jesus speaks of himself in verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Most of us are familiar with the value of childlike faith. We're going to learn more about that today. But first we learn about childish refusal to take Jesus seriously. And from these verses we see the danger of being like fickle, spoiled children. Jesus' comparison, he, he compares the unimpressed religious onlookers to children in the marketplace who refuse to settle for what they really want. They wanted to call the shots and expected others to blindly follow them as if it's all just a game. It's, after, it's as if what his statements here are like, we said jump and you didn't say how high. We don't want anything to do with you. The religious people that rejected Jesus' uh, God's messengers, both in the form of John the Baptist and Jesus, his son, were being childish, fickle, stubborn, arrogant. They showed their fickle desire to control the narrative. They played like Papa Bear and Mama Bear, you know. This one's too hot and this one's too cold. Claiming that John was too strict and, well, Jesus, he's just way too loose. All these characteristics amount to being what the scripture calls as foolish. We've talked before about how there's dog theology and there's cat theology, right? And there's books have been written on cat theology. You know, dogs uh, look at their, their human and they say, you feed me, you love me, you, you take me for walks, you must be God. Cats look at their humans and say, you feed me, you love me, you pet me for the 10 seconds that I want you to, I must be God. <laughs> and, and so often... Uh, our fallen humanity looks at God and thinks, oh, you, you do all of this for me? I must be God. And that's like the childishness that we see Jesus described in these, in these fickle onlookers. And he continues on, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead here. <laughs> sorry. Uh, for some reason, I switched my notes here. But the Proverbs tell us about people like this. These, these, these fickle onlookers. When it tells us the fear of the Lord is what begins wisdom. The fear of the Lord meaning... To live, to think as if you were standing in God's presence. To recognize, even though I'm not standing in God's physical presence, I live in his presence. And to fear that moment the way as if you were standing in his presence, physically in that moment. That is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs also tells us, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, Scripture doesn't use the term atheist. It uses the term fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. These types of people 
would say, if God was, was what I think he should be, then I would believe in him. Or maybe they would say, if I could just have seen Jesus when he was on the earth, I'd believe him. Well, that's not always the case. Next, Jesus, we see that because next, Jesus calls out the people or the cities that he had, that had ample opportunity to see and believe in him. And this is what he says. It says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these being Gentile cities... They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. We, we, we see from these verses that we can learn about the danger of seeing and yet not believing. Jesus didn't reminisce about the good times and the mighty works that he had done in these towns. These towns that were close to the Galilean area. Uh, towns where people could have easily just walked a mile or two and come and seen and heard. They certainly heard about the ministry, the miracles, the works, the teachings that Jesus was doing during his, his ministry around in the Galilean region. He actually shares his, his woeful concern for them of where they, where they were headed because they did not repent of their unbelief when they saw and heard of the evidence with their eyes and their ears. From what Jesus is saying, that there, there's, there's some sort of greater danger to living in a situation where the gospel is present, but we don't repent and trust Christ. Apparently, it's a worse danger than living in a pagan land where there is no gospel testimony. Now, everyone will stand before God one day. And those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, they, they, won't, they will stand in Christ's righteousness. And those who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior, they will not stand in Christ's righteousness. They will stand in their own sinfulness, and they will be cast out of God's presence into hell. But somehow, when it comes to the final judgment... It will have better, been better to live in a pagan land that never heard of Christ than to have the gospel proclaimed to them and rejected. I don't know how that works out. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. There is a special accountability for people who hear the gospel loud and clear but reject it. You know, I, I've met men before... You know, in, in, uh, I think when I was in, in seminary, I met a guy that had, at a church I was working part-time in, he had never crossed, stepped foot in this church until there was kind of like a bicentennial celebration. And he said proudly, my grandpa built this church. 
I'm thinking your grandpa built this church, but did you come to repentance and faith in this church? That's what matters or, or anywhere else. There is a danger in what's called sinning against grace. Sinning against the knowledge of the gospel. And that's what Jesus is referencing here. This danger, these dangerous religious tendencies. And this brings us to the verses that I think have the most for us this morning. We read in verse 25, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From these verses, I hope that you will surrender to God's grace with childlike abandonment. How much effective work can a child really do? I mean, a child can do a lot of work, but how much can they really accomplish as they're doing it? We're to come to Jesus in a way that's childlike and rest from working for our relationship with him. We're recognizing that we could never accomplish earning our own salvation. We're also recognizing that, that no more could ever need be done than what has been accomplished by Christ in his death and resurrection. In the payment for the penalty of our sins. And in his resurrection proving that God has accepted that payment. As we unpack the progression of what Jesus is saying, we first see that God graciously welcomes those he blesses with childlike faith. That's what I think Jesus is saying here in verse 25 and 26. God graciously welcomes those he blesses with childlike faith. It says, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Or as the New Living Translation says of verse 26, yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. And God, God's gracious will here, God's way that he's describing involves his plan that works by his unmerited favor towards sinners. That's what I mean. I think it's saying by gracious will. Your plan to show unmerited favor, favor that is not deserved to sinners, is God's gracious will. 
So what is God's gracious will? God's gracious will, his plan that works by, by unmerited favor towards sinners is to hide the convincing truth of the gospel from those who think they are wise enough for it or think they deserve it. This is what it means by you have hidden these things. They're hidden from the wise and understanding. This should be with scare quotes, meaning the so-called wise and understanding. Those who think they are wise and understanding. These people think that a relationship with God is going to be according to their way of doing things, their way of understanding things. Throughout the Old Testament, those who consider themselves wise and understanding, they, they, they tended to be those who were actually unwise because they leaned on their own wisdom. You're probably familiar with Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. True wisdom begins with fearing the Lord, knowing His wisdom is far beyond ours. This type of person is, is represented by the, the fickle children in the earlier verses that Jesus compared people to. They're also like the blind people of the towns where Jesus did so many of His miracles, yet rejected Him. It's also God's gracious will to reveal the convincing truth of the gospel to those who are simple and childlike. Simple childlike faith is what the gospel calls for. Not the childish, fickle demands of the previous verses. The salvation uh, for a simple-minded people shows that we don't comprehend the gospel by our vast mental ability, by our mental calculations. That's not really a compliment to, to the intellectual ability for those of us that are saved. When someone insults a Christian saying, I can't believe you're dumb enough to believe that, our response should be, I know, right? Praise God. The New Testament commentary says, spiritual understanding does not depend on human equipment or status. It is the gift of God and so is given to those in whom he is well pleased. It depends on the sovereign purpose of the Lord of heaven and earth and his choice falls on, the, on those the world would never expect. You know, Santa used to be described as, as knowing which child was naughty and which one was nice, right? You remember that? He, he was like a minister of justice delivering lumps of coal or, or nice gifts. He used to be described as having a naughty list, but, but not anymore, right? The purveyors of this myth of Santa Claus decided at some point that, that everyone deserves something from Santa, And we've tried to do the same thing with the gospel when it comes to, to how God describes his sovereign work in salvation. 
Similarly, we've decided to eliminate God's God regarding judgment and consequence, and, and, and etc. And 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 we've decided that God's always gracious to the full extent to everyone. And if someone doesn't believe in Christ as their Savior, it's their fault. And in the end, we're in danger of making salvation a matter of whether a person is wise enough or understanding enough. You know, God reveals himself to everyone, so it's just a matter of whether someone will believe or not. That's what we say. We're in danger of losing the fact that people are saved because God made it possible for them to be saved. Because it was his gracious will to reveal himself to them. Moving further, we see the privilege it is to be included in God's gracious will because God welcomes his children to know him as their father. We read, all things have been handed over to me by my father, Jesus says. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. This is, this is the community of God that was there before he ever created us. And then see how we're welcomed into that? He said, no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What a gift. To be welcomed into that community of the Godhead. Jesus is telling us that as God the Son, his knowledge is the same as the knowledge of God the Father. The intimacy between God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit is like none other and it is exclusive. But the opportunity for an intimate relationship with God is available to those to whom the Son reveals the gospel. This is how 2 Corinthians 4 describes what it looks like for a person to understand or to embrace the gospel. We read in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who said let light shine out of darkness. Speaking of his creation work. He has shown in our hearts a recreative work. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus seems to be saying, there is a gracious guest list, and only I know who's on it. And the fact that you think that you should be on it due to your wisdom or your generosity is not a good sign. He says, when you're on the list, you're going to come to know the Father personally through me. How awesome is that? If we look at surrendering to God's grace with childlike abandonment, we learn about receiving that relationship means abandoning all else. Jesus gives three invitations here. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So having told us that God has this guest list for people to know God as their father, and that Jesus possesses the authority of that list, Jesus then issues his invitation. He gives three commands of invitation to those the Father reveals the gospel according to his gracious will. So so these three commands are going out to everyone. The question is, who is God revealing his gospel to? He says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. He says, come to me. Enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's not go and do these things, and once you've done those, then come back and we'll look at what you've done. Jesus is inviting those who were burdened down with the ever-changing religious requirements of the day. He's offering relief from the toil of thinking that we can earn God's favor. He's offering eternal relief. They come through the forgiveness of sins. When he says, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, yield to me. Join with him in his kingdom work. The yoke it's talking about, it's a harness worn by animals. You know, typically you'd see it on a, around an oxen's neck, a, a team of oxen even, for plowing fields and such, or grinding grain. In some ways it sounds odd for Jesus to, to offer rest and then say, put on this harness that I'm offering you. But the fact is this, we are going to serve someone. Like we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, you know, we're like a a train car. We are attached to a locomotive. It it would be ridiculous for a train car to decide, I'm going to be my own car. I'm going to do my own thing. Disconnect from the locomotive, and then they just slowly sit there on the track. Guess what? They're just going to be picked up by another train. And that's how it is in life. We are either going to serve God or we are going to serve God's enemy. And and the people that Jesus had been talking to in this context, they are beaten back and forth, battered around by, well, if you want to know God, you better do this. If you want God to accept you, you better do this. The fact is we are going to serve some way, someone. We are going to chase or connect to some religious philosophy. He's saying, join up with me. And and, and he talks about the yoke being easy. The rigid law of the Pharisees was unmanageable and always changing. When Jesus talks about the yoke being easy, it means well-fitting. It fits like hand in glove. It's what we were made for. It's not dependent on our work. The work that we do for Christ is in his power that makes the true impact. I've heard it said that's like when Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, like there is always two oxen in a yoke. It's like Jesus' yoke, he's in one side of it, 
and it's his yoke, and we are joining up with him in his work. Guess who's doing the work, folks? We're just along for the ride. Then he says, learn from me. Walking alongside him is what this is describing. In relationship with him as his disciple. The fleshly effort of the law was issued in commands of go and do. The invitation of Jesus is come and find relief from your fleshly efforts. Walk in relationship with me. You know, imagine a a large boat pulls up alongside of this small boat that has a leak in it. And the captain of that boat, of this little skiff that's smaller than this stage up here, is is standing over his first and only mate who's sitting there with a bucket just like dumping water out of the boat constantly in order to keep it afloat. And the captain of this large boat that that pulls alongside of it, he's a gracious captain. And he calls down to the man that's just bailing water out of this boat saying, come aboard. Rest from bailing water. Dump this idiot captain that you're serving. Just bailing water out of a boat that's going to barely, that's going to sink any minute. Join my crew. Learn from me. To receive Christ as our Savior is to rest from religious efforts trying to make up for our evil hearts. We abandon foolish religious ideas and efforts. We rest in the gospel. We walk with Jesus as our Savior. And we find that his plan for us fits like a glove. So surrender to God's grace with childish abandonment or I should say childlike abandonment. It could be like a child standing by a pool. You know, the legalist swim teacher says they might give a crash course on swimming and then tell the child to jump in. And the legalist swim teacher is thinking, as long as they spend time with their, more time with their head above water than below water, they should work out just fine. That's the legalist. The fatalist teacher tells the child that, that, you know, it's not worth living up here on land anymore anyways. You might as well just jump in the water and see what happens. That's the fatalist swim teacher. The loving father is in the pool. And he's saying, jump into my arms. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to teach you. And eventually, we're going to swim together. That's the invitation that Jesus gives. Jump into God's gracious arms daily. This isn't just about salvation. This is about walking with him. He has purchased your welcome embrace over and over again. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, that you are our loving Father. Thank you, Lord, for breaking through our earthly wisdom 
our earthly understanding. Lord, we know it is so often rooted in pride. It's so often rooted in fear. It's so often rooted in, in the concept that I've got to be good enough. I've got to be impressive enough to make this impressive God want me. Thank you for sending your son to bridge that gap so that we don't have to impress you, Lord. But you give us the opportunity to stand in Christ's righteousness and to walk in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would be working in the hearts of our friends and family that need to know you so much. Lord, that the, the simple offer, the simple encouragement, come to Jesus. Find rest. Walk with him. Learn from him. That we would find them to have receptive hearts. And that they would run to you and forever be changed, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be changed daily as we walk with you as our gracious Savior. And Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.